Hello listeners and welcome to the first anniversary episode of the Chosen Brew podcast. The first ever episodes are released on the 13th of December 2016, so thanks for staying with us. I'm sure there's quite a few people out there who have been completists, who've listened to every episode, and this episode is very fitting for the anniversary because it's someone who is so into their beer and has just had so much different experience across the beer industry. So much fun to listen to Dan Schofield from True Love Brewing. Thanks so much for Bar Josephine for letting us uh, record in their bar in Footscray. Thanks also to Simon, who was working the bar that night, who looked after us. And this is Dan Schofield. Let's get into it. So, uh, well, welcome Dan Schofield of True Love Brewing onto the Chosen Brew. Hello. Now, uh, Dan, we were just discussing there off mic. You're you're very uh, you're a man of many different talents and many different guises. Uh, explain some of them for <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've started out basically just uh, working bottle shops, then bars, breweries, uh, online beer reviews, uh, all that sort of thing. So been active in the beer scene for quite a few years um absolutely love it that's basically where i'm at now where where did it start when did you start like when did the the light without giving any away any of your beers when did the kind of when did you look and think actually i really really like i I have to have beer as part of my life uh that would have been probably about 12 years ago um, when you know back back then there wasn't a lot of options um, there was one particular beer which is my first choice uh, which we won't probably give away yet but that was the beer that sort of turned around for me and going wow so there can actually be a bit of complexity and flavour in beer that is exciting and different so you've been passionate about beer for 12 or so years, um, just always in Australia. I mean, the scene is, 12 years ago, is massively different. Describe what, what your experience of that um, has been and, and that kind of journey. Yeah, I mean, back then there wasn't a lot of options as far as, you know, craft beer goes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we were sort of seeking out uh, international uh, beers, different styles that breweries in Australia weren't I guess doing at the time um, so it, there was a lot of searching involved back back then because there wasn't a lot around so tell um, us about that Dan because um, I'm sure there'd be people listening who were doing similar searches yeah uh, what were you what were the bottle shops or the pubs or places that you you actually went to and yeah well I mean I, I grew up in um, in Newcastle in New South Wales so, very industrial sort of sort of town back then. Not so much these days. It's changed a lot. But um, there was a little little bottle shop just on uh, Beaumont Street that I used to go to, and they used to get a few sort of international beers, things like you know, like John Boston and and you know that, that sort of thing. And um, I think they had back then the the old Squire range and. And that sort of thing, which was a bit different to you know to his new or VB and 
and those sorts of things, which I sort of never really liked anyway. Um, so I was always sort of searching for, for something a bit different. Uh, so it was it was a challenge because back then there wasn't really any local breweries. Um, I think we had Blue Tongue Brewery back then. Um, that was about it there. There wasn't much else. Uh, Murray's, I think, had just started uh, poking their head through. But... Yeah, there wasn't much. <laughs> and were, were you, well, were you kind of feel like you were on the uh, you were on the periphery here? Because w- did you ever go to a party and take take some interesting beers and get strange looks and <laughs> things like that? Or were your friends drinking the same thing? Or was no, we we basically used to just rock up with with a six pack of Tui's Extra Dry, <laughs> or, <laughs> or you know, um, a Cooper's Red or something, because that was about as much as you, option as you had without sort of spending too much money. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's very true, actually. You don't want to take these expenses. I know from people's posts on social media that people, when they come around to your yeah. house, you know, they're drinking your uh, your boat rocker ramjets. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally different these yeah. days. You can go to a party and people have imperial stouts yeah. and, you know, double IPAs and <laughs> that sort of thing. Back then it was just what's cheap and quick because like, yeah. <laughs> that's all there was there wasn't any imperials or doubles yeah that's a, it is big change so tell us about we're sat in uh, Bar Josephine tell us about your involvement in Bar Josephine and we'll actually start us off with what Bar Josephine is yeah uh, Bar Josephine is uh, not quite 12 months old yet so turns one in February uh, I've been here since day one um, we are a a craft beer venue so we have 12 12 rotating taps um it's great we've gone i mean you can see the the wall of decals there um that's you know most of the beers we've sort of had on tap in less than 12 months which is pretty impressive it is very, um, it's a very impressive wall in fact yeah. we might take a picture and uh for, for listeners to yeah have absolutely a look at that one but it's been great i mean we've had tap takeovers events we had a big october fest um you know people coming in all the time just because the beers are constantly changing it's keep keeps it exciting keeps it fresh keeps people interested um it's and it's a good place to work the, all the staff here are a bunch of idiots <laughs> <laughs> there's one walking past us right now you might be able to hear the footsteps yeah especially um, that guy <laughs> so so what um the Wednesday nights here have kind of become stuff of craft beer legends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Wednesday nights, um, being the middle of the week, we wanted to do something um, for for people, for the local people. Uh, so we, we sort of discount a fair bit of the board, um, do $6 pints and, and you know, that sort of thing, um, which is pretty pretty good we've had some pretty impressive cheap beers <laughs> yeah I've, I've i've been here a couple of wednesday nights and amazed that it was it was packed out yeah uh like good quality beers at six dollars yes. what can go wrong yeah so exactly. it, was, <laughs> it was great but what's curious about uh this venue i think is is its location yep because it's not necessarily you know before bar josephine was here there's a couple of good pubs in in footscray kind of a you can notice that there's definitely been a push, but it almost yeah. seems like within the last maybe 18 months, 
you've got Mr. West, you've yep. got Hop Nation, you've got the, you know, even when you go into places like the Reverence, which might be more traditional, um, you can get like Fixation IPA or yeah, whatever it is. So absolutely. What's, <laughs> what happens? Yeah. I mean, and is it your fault? <laughs> uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I worked at the Reverence for two years when they first opened. Um, so uh, I did convince them at the time Two Birds was just taking off. So I convinced them to get Two Birds on tap there, which it's been on ever since, uh, as the sort of house beers. Uh, but it's good to see, you know, venues like that, that when when they first opened had uh, pretty much nothing but sort of mainstream beer, um, including Guinness at the time <laughs> on tap. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I mean, now, now you walk in there, they've got Stone and Wood, Two Birds, Fixation... Um, you know things like that which is really good for a place that their main focus is I guess live music Mm. Um, and then yeah like you know other bars um, that have popped up the last 18 24 months Uh, so you've got Night Heron Mr West uh, Up in Smoke uh, Sloth Bar I mean it's bars popping up all over the place it's yeah what seems to me to be the case is that it's not a new bar unless it has good quality beer in now. And yep. that's definitely true of Footscray. It's well, wh- probably yeah. not true of every part of Melbourne yet. but No, absolutely. I, I've found that Footscray in particular and the western suburbs just in general of Melbourne um, is a real craft beer mecca. There's a lot of craft beer drinkers. Uh, a lot of people who work in the craft beer industry live in the west. Um, you know, breweries, brewers, reps... Um, there's a lot of people in the West. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, and just people in general are, are searching for better better quality beer. And so, you know, when new venues are opening now, they're catering to that need and that want. Um, but they're not all the same either. Like all the, all the different venues, they're all doing their own unique thing. So it's not like you walk into one bar and it's going to be exactly the same as the next bar. And that's, I think, what... I really like about it as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of diversity, and uh, dare I say, there's a lot more diversity than um, some of the uh, more uh, sought-after suburbs yeah. on the other side of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I actually, you know, it's great to be uh, in in the area in Footscray, and I, I notice more and more people posting maps of like yep. Um, yep. pub crawls and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's crazy comment. the amount of people that we get coming through on a weekend, and they're doing a, a Footscray pub crawl. You know, like even 12 months ago, you couldn't have done that. Um, so it's really, really cool to see. Yeah, it's actually maybe it's kind of um, kind of mirrors a bit what's been happening in Sydney with Marrickville and, yep. and that area just outside a city, a yeah. bit more industrial. Um, but yeah, just brilliant to see. So yeah, um, well, we should maybe we should crack with the first <laughs> beer choice. Let's do that. Let's let's describe this uh, this first beer. All right. First beer I've chosen is pretty much an Australian staple. Um, well, it was not so much anymore. I probably would never have bought this beer again if it wasn't for for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> now, because I, I I have read some of your uh, your posts on social media about this beer. Now, tell us what the beer is first, and then right. we can get on with so the discussion. The beer is. Cooper's Original Pale Ale, Cooper's Green, classic beer, um, and pretty much 
the beer that sort of changed my views on what a beer can be um, back in the day. So this is the, where my turning point sort of started for me as, as a beer drinker. So, yeah. Yeah, so what what was it about? Because, you know, to the lay person, you start drinking beer, you see there's lots of uh, pale, so-called pale ales on the shelf. Yep. You pick up a Cooper's original pale ale. It looks a little bit different from maybe the other ones. It's in a strange bottle. It says things like no preservatives and bottle conditioned. And well, what, Why would you pick up this and drink it and think it was any different to any other the pale ales on offer at the time? Well, at the time, there wasn't a lot of other pale ales. It was all lager. Um, so it was one of the few, very, very few sort of pale ales readily available in pretty much any bottle shop or bar um, that, you know, you could easily get at a good price. Um, and being Australian-owned, family-owned was a huge thing as well for me. Um, and also, being, uh, being a vegetarian, um, the fact that they used to, you know, say our beer is is vegan um, and vegetarian friendly was huge to me as well at the time well uh, (laughs) i don't think i've ever admitted this on the podcast but you're in good company with your dietary choices here (laughs) so um (laughs) we might talk a little bit about that later on because uh the beer industry does seem to be very meat dominated shall we say absolutely (laughs) so um we've actually got some of the cooper's pale ale in front of us now it's 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 got that really um, it's called trademark cloudiness and yep, haziness. Yep. It, it has got a very unique smell and taste, and it, it does kind of take you back whenever you have a it really Cooper's does pale yeah. ale. It's I mean, for for years, this was probably the only beer I drank, um, just because it was always readily available um, and. You know, it was so easy to just pick up a six-pack and or a, a carton, mm. and you know, all my friends drank it as well. So this was something we all we could all agree on. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of it's it's quirky enough to give you a bit of interest, but mainstream enough for most people to enjoy. So it yep. ticks those boxes. The price point is still, I think, it's forty-five, forty-eight. Um, dollars for a slab. Yeah, very approachable <laughs> price-wise, <Absolutely>. um, <laughs> but. There is a boss, isn't there, <laughs> about Coopers. Yes. Um, despite the fact they're family-owned, despite the fact they're Australian, despite the fact they are independent, yep. what's the problems with the Coopers <laughs> from your point of view, Dan? Well, for me, it was their whole their whole uh, stance that they, they did with the, you know, the equal rights with the marriage and, and their involvement with um, the Bible Society and things, and to me, I, I just don't think beer and politics should really go together, um, especially if you're trying to sort of push your sort of views and, and things on, onto people. Um, it just it just didn't resonate well with me yeah, personally. I, yeah, no, I uh, it's always a sticky uh, thing to kind of you know put your put your viewpoint out there, and uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one for me because. Cooper's has so much going for it in terms of all those things we've mentioned and um, the quality of its beer and and no doubt it'll be in many people's chosen six um, you know during this podcast but there is the the issues of um, 
Yeah, maybe maybe it's a size issue as well. Maybe a small brewery can be political and can say, well, we're going to support this because, and this is uh, this is what our story is, and this is why we're doing it. Maybe when your brewery gets to a certain size, yep. like a behemoth, like Cooper's, then it seems maybe that um, clouds it a little bit because people think, well, you're actually yep. using your your might and influence and your reach for something that you know a lot of your drinkers yeah. might not. Um, get behind whereas if you're a small brewery maybe people get behind you right at the start because yeah, of a I political mean, I, issue I that's a, a good example of i guess having certain views on things is probably um spark brewery uh with their their sort of uh beer cans that they brought out you know like consent can't come after you do that that sort of thing which is it's a pretty bold sort of move to put on a can and I mean, I've seen a, a few people who have sort of posted and things like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea to be putting that sort of thing on a can. But um, I, I don't know whether that's sort of pushing a view or whether that's sort of maybe just something else, like, uh, you know, like standing against um, something that is a bit of an issue, really. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose the whole idea of beer is surely to drink and talk and yeah. work through problems and work out <laughs> issues and all of those things yeah. you know so I mean, cooper certainly made a lot of people talk uh, yeah and it also made a lot of people very angry yeah uh, you know photos and videos of bars you know chucking out all their coopers uh products into the bins and mm. that sort of thing which is pretty extreme um yeah it's it's a strange thing <laughs> yeah so well it's um Good on you, Dan, because it's still made you six. Uh, because you know you didn't let your uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> your, I mean, your look, current views over at, cloud. At, at the end of the day, it it will always hold a hold a place in, I guess, in my heart as being one of the the beers that really turned a light on. As beer doesn't have to be just a fizzy yellow lager. Um, it it was you know the first time I had a Cooper's, I was sort of blown away by the flavour and complexity and um, just what what it was all about. Yeah, and I'm, I'm amazed with the Coopers how temperature sensitive it is as well. If yeah. you have a Coopers and it's in the fridge for three, four hours and you get one just out of room temperature, yep. it's almost like a different beer. It's quite, yeah. the, the flavour profile changes hugely. Absolutely. So I found that quite, obviously being English, I <laughs> didn't mind, you know, I used to get beers and sit on them. Yeah. Uh, so it's made them a bit warmer, but um, no, it's it's actually, it's come down quite well. <laughs> it, it, the temperature might be helping <laughs> because it's very hot today. But, um, it's very hot. The Coop, Cooper's Pale is going very well. So choice one was the Cooper's Pale uh, original Pale Ale, and uh, we were, we're just rem- <laughs> just finishing that last few mouthfuls of the Cooper's. It it it, it is reminiscent of just that uh, like an old smell, something yeah. taking you back, like a an old piece of clothing or furniture like or revisiting an old friend that you haven't seen in like 10, 20 years. Yeah, <laughs> and that you perhaps don't want to see again for another time. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, oh, it's, it's good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done, well done Coopers, for getting in the, uh, in, the, in the top six of Dan's choices. Let's move on to choice two. Choice two is another beer that uh, really spoke to me uh, growing up is uh, the Murray's Angry Man Pale Ale. Uh, being a, 
a Newcastle boy, and Murray's being a local brewery. Um, that was really, really cool to have a local brewery producing a phenomenal local craft beer. Now, the Murray's Angry Man, that kind of, um, I think Murray's have, have been, th- it's 4.8%, it's been through a couple of um, relabelings and things like that. I it think has, it's, yeah. uh, it's been uh, It's been on tap quite a lot, but you said you were struggling to find a Murray's Angry Man on the shelves. Yeah, um, I, had to, I had to go to Dan Murphy's to get this one, uh, but... You know, 12 months ago, I could walk into any any bottle shop and find a selection of Murray's beers. But it seems um, the last sort of 12 months or so, it's they've gone from being one of the most um, seen breweries in, in bars and bottle shops to sort of being very hard to sort out, uh, to, to source. And it's very strange. Yeah, well, it kind of falls... In, it's a very nice beer. It kind of falls in that category of... Um, it was 4.8%, so being under 5, there's a, most of the new kind of pale ales that come out tend to be you know, yep. knocking upwards of uh, you know, 5.5%, 6% and onwards. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really approachable and really quite tasty and fruity. Yeah, and absolutely. I think um, a lot of pale ales now, as, as good as they are, I think they're sort of following the, the American trend uh, with having those big ABV, big hops... Whereas I find the Angry Man being that little bit lower, being a lot more sessionable, but still having a lot of flavour. It's got a good hot profile. It's got a good sort of caramel malt on there. Um, just a, it's just a good solid beer. Yeah. Now talking of good solid beers, um, True Love Brewing, tell us about how. <laughs> first off, how it came about, and where you're up to at the moment, and how things are going yeah so that came about um i was just basically wanting to to start my own brewing label um someone who'd been home brewing for for 10 years uh working in craft beer industry i thought i'd have a have a red hot go <laughs> so first beer i i released um and so far the only beer i've released is being an ipa uh, which I've done two batches of, um, and yeah, it's just a a labour of of love, really. Well, <laughs> I, I actually I think I had uh, one from the second batch, and yep. it was delicious. So well done, and um, I think um, it must be very hard. And I'm sure a lot of listeners who homebrew as well. They always dream, maybe dream of yeah. you know <laughs> brewing their own commercially or making that stuff. I think up. it's it's sort of every every home brewers has in the back of their mind. Oh, wouldn't it be great to have a have a commercial beer one day? Like, <laughs> but um, I was lucky enough to uh, be working at the time with uh, Himmelhorn Brewery, um, and they they sort of helped me out a lot and said, "Hey, well, why don't you?" do it here come and brew brew at the brewery previous guests of the um, show so if you anyone wants yes, to listen back yes, to uh henry to annabelle henry and annabelle uh lovely people um i mean they they're they're kicking goals with the barrels and and sour beers and and all that sort of thing as well uh but they were a huge help um with with letting me sort of follow follow my dream and help me out and 
show me the way, I guess, <laughs> which was really, really nice of them. Um, and a huge learning curve as well, especially going from homebrew to to full-scale commercial size. Is it kind of the case that, like, you you do homebrew for 10 years and you think you know a lot and then you try to brew and you think, I it's know a nothing. Whole, <laughs> it's a whole other ballpark. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it, it's not um, it's not as simple as just scaling up and going for it. You know, there's there's a lot of... Um, a lot of things that need to be done especially when when it comes to to you know an ipa and things where you've got to you know calculate your your hop regimes and um your ibus and and it's yeah a totally different ballpark um but it was a a lot of fun yeah <laughs> it's, it's great great fun yeah. and it you know it's it is actually quite uh inspiring for other people who are thinking about doing it it's one of those things that obviously most brewers are ex-home brewers who made yeah, that step I up. and pretty much, you know, any any pro brewer sort of starts out as, as a home brewer and it's always the dream. Um, it is a lot of hard work. Um, it's a lot of money and you don't... I mean, I've, I've not made any money off it. It's purely been something that I just wanted to do, um, basically just covering costs. Yeah. But that doesn't doesn't bother me. I mean, that's it's all it's all part of it. <laughs> and, yeah. Well, how, how did you come up with the name and uh, you know the design and <laughs> yeah. things like that? It's quite it's quite funny. Um, we were sitting sitting at home one day trying to think of a name, and um, it was my wife actually who who turned to me and said, "Oh, beer's your true love, isn't it? Not, like not me, beer is." <laughs> and I said, "I think you just nailed it." <laughs> I think that's a really good name, True Love Brewing. <laughs> and she's gone, damn it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's sort of how that came about. It's quite funny. Um, and she's actually been been a pretty big part of it as well. She she did all the design work. Um, so the, the label design, the, the uh, whole branding design was all all her um, doing. So Wow. And uh, if... Uh if people want to want to look it up on you're on Facebook and you're, yeah. you're quite prolific on social media, uh, yep. Dan Brews. Yeah, yep. Um, B R U B R E W S. I was going to say B R U I S E, which is Ron Brews. Definitely something. Don't type that in. He will not be your friend. Yeah, you might come up with something totally different. Yeah, so we have. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all um, at at True Love Brewing, um, and my personal uh, Instagram and, and whatnot is just uh, at Dan Brews. Uh, so I, I, I post a lot of um, beer reviews and um, just whatever I'm drinking at the time. Yeah, which so. I, was, I was actually going to, going to bring this up, but we'll talk about it now because um, I actually really like following you on social media because you seem to not be show any bias in what you drink you drink such a diverse range of things it's not there's no kind of trend or anything you'll drink low alcohol beers 
yep. the higher side. You drink sours. You drink, and it like are you what what happens when you go into? How do you choose when you go into a bottle <laughs> shop? <laughs> That's always hard. I spend a lot of time sort of staring at the fridges and going, hmm, what what do I what do I feel like? Do I do I feel like a sour? Or do I do I feel like a, a paler? Do I feel like a stout? Like <laughs> I think it all depends on my mood at the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I basically the way way I've been doing it. Um, recently is well what are, what haven't I had uh, before what's new or you know what what's something that is completely out of the ballpark that might be interesting to try um, so that's sort of how I've been looking at it lately and there's been some some good ones and there's been some not so good ones but that's that's the case with with beer uh, yeah never know what you're gonna get until you crack the bottle <laughs> that is true yeah level of expectation so choice two was the uh, Murray's Angry Man, and uh, great to see on the on the on the bottle the uh, <laughs> picture of uh, a, a man boxing a kangaroo. Yes. Now I do believe in Australian folklore that there was a time where people would actually box kangaroos. Is this can this be verified? <laughs> I personally can't verify it, but I wouldn't put it past any. When you when you say I can't personally verify, that sounds like you were definitely responsible for you were organising those sites. underground kangaroo fights. Yeah, yeah. So um, Australia, great place. So <laughs> so let's see. Choice three. It is the Brewdog Punk IPA. Excellent. Now this is the uh, much fabled, controversial uh, Scottish brewery. Um, which basically set the craft beer scene in the UK on, on fire yes. and then poured <laughs> petrol on that fire. <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. They're pretty out there sort of guys. Yeah, so tell us how this made... When was the first time you had this and how did this, uh, how did this change the way you thought about beer? Yeah, so the first time I had this beer... Ooh, it's probably... Yeah, probably about eight or nine years ago, maybe. And um, the only reason I bought it was because it said punk on it. And growing up playing in punk rock bands and and listening to punk rock music, I was like, yeah, sick. I'm going to buy that because it says punk on it. (laughs) No idea what I was in for. It was the hard sell. (laughs) Yeah, so um, I remember cracking it open and the aroma pretty much punched my face in and then the taste as well um it's probably one of the one of the first sort of bigger ipas i i had um and it the bitterness and and the flavor really just threw me through the roof (laughs) it was a full-on full-on beer yeah, because the aroma was a- absolutely unique, I think, when it first came out. And uh, the aroma was one thing on beers. You know, there's plenty of beers out there which have a great aroma. Yep. When you taste it, it, it just falls away. Yeah. But this was one of those beers where it, it carried through and it, it the what you smelt, you uh, you could drink. And it was, it was pretty pretty special beer and I was kind of their um flagship beer as well a punk yeah. IPA yep yep um and um you know we've talked a little bit about how Cooper's a bit controversial uh <laughs> how, how do you how do you sit with Brewdog and 
what's what's been going on there? I think they these guys sort of make a living off being out there and controversial and and sort of not playing by the rules, which um, I guess you know sort of ties in with the whole punk ethos as um, it's just not giving a fuck and doing whatever the hell you want and not caring what anyone else says. Um, yeah, it's. I think that was sort of something that I, I sort of liked about it as well. Yeah, I think whatever you say about um, Brewdog and that they have uh, fans and uh, the opposite of fans, uh, <laughs> so they, um, they're obviously controversial, but one thing they do do is they get people talking about beer and they yep. get to be, you know, whether it's trying to brew the highest percentage beer and, yeah, yeah. or whether they're doing like casino style things <laughs> with the shareholders and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, and even recently opening up a, a or looking at opening up a, a, a beer resort, mm. um, which is just crazy. <laughs> yeah, where you have like beer on tap in your rooms and yeah. you have a beer bath and all yep. this and plans to open a brewery in Australia, which yeah. I think... Newcastle has been... Um, so it's a, they're looking at either Newcastle or Brisbane, um, which is very interesting. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, why, why wouldn't they choose Melbourne? I think the reason, I think, is probably because Melbourne is already very saturated with beer, whereas Newcastle, Brisbane, they're two very up-and-coming beer um, scenes. Not so saturated as Melbourne, so it probably makes more sense to do it in those places that's my thought anyway <laughs> yeah I, th- I think you're right i think they're probably doing it from partly a business perspective but i kind of disappointed they didn't uh do it in melbourne or sydney <laughs> just to be controversial you know just because yeah. ca- it would have caused as much as people want it it would have got a lot of yep. people's backs up and uh yeah you yeah. know kind of uh, really caused controversy so um yeah so punk ipa and they also do, one thing they do do good beers don't they, they do yeah and they, I mean, they travel pretty well they do uh you know one of my favorite beers is the the elvis juice i mean that is just a cracking beer yeah that was actually uh ian mclean's choice on a previous episode oh, nice. and um <laughs> yeah he it, like he'd only had it very recently but yep. it made his six because it, it again it was such a unique beer yeah. and and very well delivered yeah, we had a, a keg of it here, and it literally flew off the tap. It's people couldn't get enough of it. Uh, it's just one of those beers, you know. It's it's full flavoured, but so easy to drink for for the sort of higher percentage it is as well. Uh, yeah. I think that that grapefruit uh, sort of beer they they've really nailed that one. Well, again, I think you know we just said about the. Punk IPA, the aroma and the, and the flavour delivers, yeah. and that Elvis juice—it smells like grapefruit. When you taste it, it does taste like yeah. grapefruit as well, which is yeah, is fantastic. It's, it's actually quite funny, like you know, drinking drinking this beer now, and and uh, it's, it almost seems like it just doesn't have the that kick that it had when I first tasted it. But I think over you know over over many years of drinking different styles of beers and things your palate sort of changes and you sort of drink it after not having it for a while and go oh well that's it's still good but it just 
not how I remember it when I first had it. <laughs> yeah, and I always wondered if it would be as like that I was very affectionate about. I think, it, is it really me who's changed? Or, <laughs> you know, they, they must have changed the recipe. This must be a bad batch. Or, uh, And I, I think that's the interesting thing about beer is like it's... It's almost trying to nail jelly to a wall because you you really there's so many variables that make it kind of yeah. exciting and interesting and sometimes disappointing. <laughs> yep. But that's that's um what, I think what also brings us with, to it. With with craft beers, you'll find that uh, from batch to batch it's gonna be slightly different. It's hard to get it exactly the same every single time with craft beer. Uh, because, you know, you might have to substitute a grain or a hop or or something along those lines, but I mean, this is this has been a pretty consistent sort of beer um, over the years, and that's one of the things I love about it. Yeah, and I suppose uh, even on days like today, where the temperature rises, there's a lot of breweries yep. who don't have the facility to temperature control their facilities. Yeah, it's going to have an impact on the outcomes potentially. So yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, storage is a is a major issue uh, with a lot of. Uh, bottle shops and uh, bars and things um, you know you can't always cold store everything um, which does affect uh, beer you know light heat that sort of thing um, so yeah I mean at the end it, it all comes down to how fresh it is and how it's being kept yeah well actually talking about uh, the controversial brew dog um, or brew dog as they were formerly <laughs> known um they have uh, you know equity for punks, which is kind of like a you know beer drinker shareholder yep. type of arrangements. But they've also taken on some investment from venture capitalists, and some people say that ceases to make them independent because it's kind of like taking you know money off a big venture anyway. So they're not quite punks anymore. Yeah. Um, some people argue the other way, uh, but we're actually recording this on the day that Pirate Life. Yes. has been bought out by <laughs> that was uh, that was a CUB or quite, quite the news to wake up to. <laughs> it was quite amazing when I checked my phone at lunchtime today. Yep. Um, obviously, it'll be a couple of weeks before this episode goes out, so people might have had time to rest on the news. Yeah, but let it at settle the time in. of reco- recording, <laughs> we haven't. And so, um, I know that you were a big fan of Pirate Life's recent collaboration with a uh, former guest of the show, Colby Chandler, uh, for the Pirate Life um, Ballast Point. Yes. Um, I don't know. What, uh, it's like a new, new world. It was, there. Um, it was strong a ale. strong pale ale uh, brewed with uh, finger lime, um, and it was absolutely delicious. We, yeah. had, we had it on tap here, actually, um, and it was just fantastic. And so... Does this fill? Does this fill you with dread, or fill you with excitement, or Look, what does a big takeover mean? In terms, of, you know, you, you've you're a small brewer yourself. Yep. You're in the in the trade. You're in the industry. Yeah. Look, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I I can't personally sort of say, oh, I think that's a horrible idea because I don't know their circumstances, and I think a lot of people sort of just jump in and go, oh they just sold out I'm never going to drink their beer again which I think is total bullshit because I mean look what happened with Mountain Goat they they sold to Asahi and they're brewing some of the best beers they've brewed in years um, with even the, the recent Back to the Brewer 
there's been you know a lot of people online posting this is probably the best beer of the year uh, a lot of their beers over the last few months have been absolutely fantastic so you know it just goes to show that just because they they got bought out by a big company that they're not still producing good quality small batch beers and that's exactly what I think Pirate Life is going to do with their their current brew house. They're doing a lot of barrel uh, age program. Uh, they're going to be experimenting a lot more with different styles. Um, and then their main core range beers are going to be at their new bigger brewery down in Port Adelaide. So I, I don't think it's it's necessarily a horrible thing if they do it right, and if the company lets them run the business, you know to the best that they can do it so you know it's all it's all a personal thing i think i mean other people are going to go oh nah that's stupid like mm. i'm never going to drink their beer again yes you are <laughs> <laughs> well I, I don't think anyone would ever blame anyone for starting up a, a business and getting a big buyout because you you would like you you know you've got to you've got to look after your family and pay the bills and yeah. all the rest and um, yeah i think um also, the fact that, you know, they're still such a young brewery. You know, they've only been around for, what, three years? Yeah. Um, and to come as far as they have is incredible. For You know, they started up, built up a name, got a huge following. They're, you know, they, they can't even keep up with production in their current facility. So it just goes so that they've been very smart business-wise so far. So they wouldn't make this move unless it was for the good of their business and good luck to them yeah most definitely good luck to them and uh i think that the only anxiety comes more probably around uh the track record of cub handling likes of matilda bay and cascade and and yep. those brands that have kind of uh you know fallen by the wayside in some respects and uh yeah that that is probably an anxiety for for Australian beer drinkers. Yeah, but yeah. hopefully it's a way, as you say, well, uh, probably I think Mountain Goat situation. They're probably the core range is probably not as great as it was, but um, the the single batch stuff and absolutely. the smaller yeah. beers are and, and exceptional. As, as craft beer drinkers, that's the sort of thing that the craft beer community are looking at anyway. They're not looking at the core range stuff. Mm. They're looking at the special releases, the, the one-offs, those sorts of things. That's what gets the craft beer community excited. I think Goose Island is another good example of that as well. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, they, they got bought out and yep. perhaps their mainstream stuff isn't very interesting. Yeah, but absolutely. they are capable of and they have the resource yep. to... And, and another perfect example is only a few weeks ago with, um, with Four Pines and Feral. Um, you know, Four Pines... Um, I just recently had their um, Australian double IPA. Fantastic beer. That was really, really good. Um, you know, Feral still producing great beers. You know, I mean, it's as long as they're able to continue with their exper- experimental one-offs, limited releases, um, there's no reason why people shouldn't support them. Um, that's, yeah. It's my view. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, uh, yeah. I suppose it's also uh, probably another anxiety is just actually will there be any space left for the small guy? And I think it, you know, if there's enough of us in the community to still buy those independent beers, and still that will be the thing that pushes the industry along. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I know for, certainly through social media and people I've spoken to, you know, they do take the 
craft so-called craft beers to parties and barbecues and do uh, they're evangelists yeah. they, they, they you know persuade people and they yeah. say this yep. is the way forward um and i know i've done that to some of my friends and they don't speak to me anymore because they can't they can't go to football now and drink a beer and enjoy yeah. it <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no it's uh yeah it's it's very interesting the way people sort of straight away they they you know read something online like a brewery's been sold and the first thing they do is go oh i'm boycotting like because you're not independent anymore and at the end of the day it all comes down to to the venues whether they want to buy from them or not um and i think venues have a lot more say these days where you know a lot uh, venues are doing a lot less sort of contract deals and tap deals um they they want to be able to have free tap space and and go through their their taps with different breweries so yeah it's I don't see how it's going to affect anything too much. Yeah, I, I think you know. I, I think it's nice that actually there's some bars out there who say we will not deal with anything uh, that's yeah. not independent. But you know, I also for the for the vast majority of people, they could care less whether it was owned by a conglomerate <laughs> or not. Yeah. You know, so um, we we kind of got to step out of the bubble sometimes and, yeah. and realize uh, what most people uh, do. So Dan. Um, We've gone through the. We're halfway through. We've we gone are. through uh, those we're beers. Well. So we've gone from Cooper's Pale Ale. We've gone at Murray's Angry Man and Brewdog Punk IPA. What is the next choice? The next choice is Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I remember uh, the first time I had Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. Uh, was when Stonewood first opened. Um, I was in Byron Bay, and it wasn't called Pacific Ale back then. It was um, it was called Pacific Draft. Wow, I did <laughs> not know that. Yes, and this is the fabled Pacific Ale as lawsuits have been. Uh, yes. which I don't know uh, the validity of discussing that on the podcast. But um, <laughs> we might skip, skip out of that one. But yeah, I think we'll leave that one alone. Pacific Draft. Yeah, it was called Pacific Draft, um, and it, uh, I had it on tap at oh, I can't even remember the name of the, the bar. It was a, a pub in in Byron Bay, and um, it was stinking hot, hot summer day. So it went down a, a treat. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just remember thinking, I've never had a beer that tastes like this before. It was, you know, it had that haze to it. It had this super fruity, citrus, tropical thing going on and just sort of fell in love, basically, with it. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those beers uh, that is so suitable for its location it's brewed in. Absolutely. I mean, seldom is that the case, but... It is it you know you, when I went to Byron Bay, mm. I think a lot of places were doing like five dollar bottles of it. Yeah, it's just like perfect four point four percent, I think it is, and it's um, and I think it's one of those beers where they actually the haziness of it actually changed a lot of people's minds about yeah. because people yep. were not um, when they got a hazy beer, they thought there was something wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so Pacific Ale actually is one of those beers, I think, which is kind of allowed the acceptability of haze in beer Absolutely. for a yeah. lot of people. Definitely. You know, it, you know, when p- most people pour beers, they expect it to be sort of 
crystal clear and um, it's complete opposite with this beer. It's, you know, got that nice sort of yeasty haze to it, um, which is great. I mean, yeah, I, I remember going after after we tried the beer, I was like, oh, they're a local brewery here. We should go and find them. So we looked them up, went down to the brewery and, you know, it was all open, walked in. Couldn't find a single person. <laughs> sort of just popped my head in, had a bit of a wander around, and I just assumed they were all at the beach surfing or something. But yeah, it was bizarre. I was like, okay, so the, it's all open, but there's no one here. That's really weird. <laughs> you know, I actually did the same. It's in like a little. It was in like a little uh, like, like a, court. Uh, no, like through a, road. Like a yeah. close. Yeah, yeah, like a court. Sort and of thing. I, d- I did the same, but yeah. all the doors were locked, so I think they they'd heard me coming. So, <laughs> so but they've now moved to a. A massive facility, still in Byron, I think yeah, it is. Yeah, but, I think it's uh, just outside of Byron. Yeah, uh, big. It's, I think it's an old Bunnings uh, warehouse oh, wow. building. Uh, so it's, I mean, they're big buildings. So you <laughs> can only imagine the size of the brew house there. Um, but I mean, they still have the the smaller brewery, and obviously, I think that's where a lot of the fixation stuff is brewed out of, and yeah. all their sort of small batch. Um, bottles and things so. and they're actually uh opening a fixation bar in melbourne i think they are in collingwood yeah so um fixation is kind of uh they just do ipas i think it is yeah um they just do ipas uh we've got the the fixed double ipa on tap here at the moment tasting good and the um the the citrus one in cans in the fridge or oh, the squish the, the squish yeah. yeah um they're doing they're doing great great things i mean tom delmont you know it's a, a legend of the, the Australian craft beer scene, um, you know, ex mountain goat guy, um, but he's he's absolutely nailing it. What a legend! <laughs> shout outs. So, um, talking of shout outs, uh, tell us a bit about this uh, this music side music career you've got going on as well. Oh, not so much anymore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I played in bands for years. Uh, recording, touring, um, yeah, for for many years. Um, actually, played with my old band a couple of weeks ago in uh, in Newcastle. Uh, it's the first time we've played together in ten years. Wow! <laughs> and um, that was a lot of fun. It was very very rusty. <laughs> but, I mean, we we had a ball. Um, we, you know something that that we we grew up with uh playing music and um yeah not so much these days it's getting too old <laughs> so you you've, you've tapered down the music so you you're ramping up the beer concentrating and uh more on beer than music these days but music's still a big big part of my life well tell us about uh, your your beer experience in terms of professionally working obviously you've talked about bar josephine but yep. talk us through a little bit about um you know where you've worked and and what jobs you've done through the through the years yeah so i guess uh I started out working at um, at Dan Murphy's. Um, worked my way up to be a, a duty manager um, over a few years. Um, yeah, that was that was good. I seen a lot of change in in beers um, and beer selections over the years working there, um, and it was good to see the craft beer section just grow and grow and grow and you know every, every few months we'd have to expand the fridge space to fit more craft beer in which was awesome 
then, yeah, I, I guess from there I um, worked in, in bars as well. Uh, so I worked Reference Hotel, Littlefoot, here, Junction Hotel. Um, worked for Southern Bay uh, Brewery um, for about 12 months. Um, then I worked for Himmelhund and most recently been working at uh, Hawker's Brewery in the brewery there. Uh, so yeah, tell tell us a little bit about hawkers because hawkers are uh, they're taking off. If they haven't already yeah. caught fire, they are <laughs> because they've just got a contract for Marks and Spencers in the UK for yes. I think six hundred over six hundred stores to yep. stock their IPA. That's a huge deal. Yeah. It is a huge deal. If people aren't familiar with uh, Marks and Sparks, as it's known, uh, <laughs> it is that's a prestigious store, and to have your beer, they are quite stringent about food quality yep. and uh, yep. and quality of produce. They only sell high-end uh yeah. things yeah that so, is massive so and also tinnies as well yes so talk about maybe talk about the first thing and then we'll get on yeah. to the tinnies so I, th- I think uh they're they're going to be sort of stocking the, the core range uh bottle core range um stuff which is good um you know get get a international supplier um try and get it there as fresh as possible obviously uh cold storage all the way um so that's yeah, that's great to be able to to get over and be internationally recognised as as a, a brewery that's doing something really well. Um, and then as far as the cans go, I mean we've literally only what a month a month ago, probably less than, probably almost less, less than yeah, a month maybe now. As we speak about three, um, three weeks ago, three, weeks about ago. three weeks ago, the the canning line came came online. Um, first off the ranks was the XPA. Um, was tasting very nice yeah that was, that was the one i was uh, i bought uh, some recently and uh the the lady in the bottle shop was saying this this is uh this is a bit too tempting because they put it in mcdonald's colors <laughs> yeah to make you feel cans, hungry yeah. <laughs> i don't know i don't think mcdonald's colors make you hungry for beer but it obviously it worked on me so yeah um so that was that was good um obviously you know, there's a lot of contract um, stuff coming out of Hawkers as well. So that's uh, very exciting because now brewers uh, who have contracted through Hawkers are able to do cans as well as bottles. Because um, it's a big facility, isn't it? What it was is it? Huge. $10 million facility it's, in, yeah, in it's Reservoir. Massive. Huge. Yeah. It's a big setup. Yeah. So. <laughs> and uh, obviously, Maz in there knows what he's doing. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, got it, Ambitious, would that be fair to say? Very, yeah. And, and I mean, the whole the whole brew crew um, there is very switched on. They're all um, they all know exactly what they're doing. They've been working in the industry for years and years. Um, so, you know, they get get the best of the best um, in there. Um, and what do you think? Um, you know, working ha- working there yourself, uh, what can you take as a small brewer from? just an operation like that or an ambitious yeah. setup like that oh definitely things like um quality control um like all the lab testing that sort of thing um that's that's been a, a really cool thing to, to sort of start to learn is uh getting into the lab and uh quality control testing taste testing um you know testing things uh, like when packaging the carbonation levels um it's yeah. There's so so many things, so many variables, and it's there's a lot a lot to learn. It's still a lot to learn. 
<laughs> yeah, it's quite amazing that, you know, uh, despite all your experience and homebrewing and obviously professionally, that you still can learn and still walk into places and go, well, I feel like a beginner yep. again. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Especially walking into such a big um, brewing setup. It's it's sort of overwhelming in a way. and But you look at it and go, okay, well, let's start from, from the bottom. <laughs> yeah. So Tinny's, uh, there's the XBA, isn't there? I think the lager there's a lager out, which and is like in a green and silver can. Yeah. And then there's also um, the West Coast uh, IPA. Um, so, again, another big hoppy driven beer. And then the Largo, you know, good for sort of festivals and hot summer days and things. So, I think yep. um, one thing you'll find is you'll, you'll see a lot of people with festivals snapping up cans and and things like that. So, especially like Falls Festivals and things coming up. And Yeah, you know. well, obviously, like in many ways, bottle, bottles is the enemy because they break, they smash... Yeah. They're not as environmentally friendly. Yeah. I mean, and tinnies just like carrying a slab of tinnies in terms of carrying a slab of yeah. bottled beers. Less weight. Yeah. <laughs> night and day, isn't it? So, um, so much easier to, to you know, get rid of too. You can crush a can down. Um, cans are better for the beer in, in general because there's no light getting in. Uh, so you don't have to worry about light struck beer. Um, I guess the, the main thing is just, just keeping it nice and temperature controlled yeah well <laughs> actually on, on that note that tinnies fit you can fit more in the fridge absolutely yeah. so it's a lot more efficient for those yeah. uh beer festivals and things yep. like that to and actually yeah and cans are generally cheaper as well yeah oh, even better <laughs> <laughs> i actually didn't know what the price what what would be the price difference between a, a, one can are we talking a couple of cents or is it but obviously on a big scale you, yeah it's Oh, well, the thing Not about sure. a can, you don't need to put a crown seal on. Yeah. So you save money on that as yep. well. <laughs> it's all around good budget. So choice five. So choice five is from a Geelong brewery, uh, Southern Bay Brewery, uh, the Hot Bazooka IPA. And this is Southern Bay where you, you did a stint at for 12 months or so? Yeah, yeah. I was their, um, their sales guy for, for about 12 months um, until I... Got sacked? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had a seizure, um, broke my back and couldn't oh, work. Wow. So I, I, I feel very bad about making that <laughs> joke now. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't drive a car for six months and wow. um, I'm still recovering now yeah. from it. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, they were they were a great great people to work for, and this is um, Hot Berserker IPA was one of the first beers I had from these guys, and very punchy with the hops. So, tell us about um, before you you got sacked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell us about um, what is the job of of a sales rep for a brewery because. It seems like a nightmare to me. You, you kind of, you know, you, it's overcrowded market. You're trying to get beer out, get beer on tap, get people to try your yep. beer over so many others. Is it a tough job? It is, um, but it's also a very fun job. Um, I mean, my, my role, basically when, when I started, um, they didn't have a full-time rep in Melbourne. Um, so there was a lot of, 
uh, space that needed to be sort of filled to, to get the product back into Melbourne um, after the previous rep had, had moved on. Um, so I basically had to build the brand from the ground up again um, to get it back into a lot of Melbourne venues. Um, and there's a lot of history behind Southern Bay. Um, they've been... I mean, the brewery itself um, has been around since oh, forever. I mean, it's it's one probably one of the oldest running breweries in in Victoria. Uh, used to be the old Geelong Brewery back in the day. Um, they do a lot of contract brewing out of there as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was basically my job to to build the brand back up, get them back into venues in Melbourne, and to create a um, an online. Um, social media uh, outlet for for the company as well, which was a lot of hard work, but very rewarding. Yeah, it, so- it sounds daunting. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about what Southern Bay, like their core range, what kind of their ethos was. Yep. What what were you going when you were selling it into a venue or into a bottle shop or whatever? What were you kind of? What was your pitch? What were you? Yeah, I mean, basically with with their range, um, there's there's four beers in the core range uh so the australian um lager uh which is just a straight up lager for you know your draft sort of drinkers um and that was also um a beer that was able to be rebranded as um you know if a venue wanted to have their own house beer that was the beer that we could use to do that with a lot of venues still do that um then there was the the requiem new world pilsner um, the Southern Ocean Pale Ale and the Hot Bazooka IPA. Uh, the Hot Bazooka IPA wasn't always in the core range. Um, it started its life as a limited release beer. Um, there were, it was so we received. They decided to keep it as a as one of the core range. And so, what was it about this beer that made you like change your mind about? Well, it was one of the the first beers I sort of found when I moved. To, uh, to Victoria, to Melbourne. Um, uh, it was just one of the first beers I sort of found that was a locally made uh, beer. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, yeah, cool, local beer, I'll give it a crack. And just, I don't know, I've always, I've always just really enjoyed how punchy and hoppy it is, especially when, it, when it's fresh. It's super in your face with the, with the citrus and stone fruit and nice sort of caramel malt. Um, and that, to me, that was like, that's what I loved in, in a beer. You know, I'm a, I'm a big IPA kind of lover. So to me, that that was like my kind of beer. Um, and yeah, it was, it was basically from discovering that beer to pescaring them at festivals and beer events, um, basically forced them to give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, that's sort of the story behind that one and so when you uh when you made your own ipa were you kind of taking a bit of in- what were you saying a bit of influence from this maybe a bit from yep. some other beers what yeah absolutely um this was definitely a huge influence when i first decided i wanted to have a crack at an ipa i wanted to do something that was sort of similar to this um and um head brewer at southern bay um was really good too phil he he gave me a lot of good pointers he you know uh, sent me home with a bunch of, of grains to try out um he was like yeah why don't you try try this grain bill with with these hops and and so that was really really cool you know to have have the head brewer 
you know, you're just a sales guy, to have the head brewer go, well, here, take some of this, this malt home and give it a crack and bring me in a sample when it's done and get some feedback. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, that was, to me back then, that was, like, huge. <laughs> and and you've had, uh, obviously, you had the misfortune of having that seizure and uh, it doesn't seem to be holding you back. You, it seems to be... Yeah. Working hard and I, I mean, it, it hasn't been been the most fun thing. Um, I've, I mean, I had a, an appointment with a specialist just a couple of days ago, um, and my T4 vertebrae is still fractured, um, and I've been in a lot of pain recently. Where we to the point I was actually in hospital uh, only about a week ago. Uh, Got to have an MRI in a couple of weeks, possibly surgery. Uh, hopefully not, but um, yeah, I mean, I I try not to let it get in the way um, when it comes to beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, things like uh, moving kegs and and lifting heavy cases and things have um, have been a. Uh, not not permitted <laughs> that, that's a it's a good way to get out of it isn't it i think that was yeah, a yeah. serious injury oh so, that uh, keg's empty uh you're gonna have to change that <laughs> i'll just stay here behind the bar <laughs> it, it's actually yeah. on a kind of a, a relevant note for uh the weight of kegs and things it yep. is an issue in the industry isn't it and absolutely it, in yep. terms of um the taxation discussion that's been on about uh size of kegs and the way they're taxed yep it is a, a a true like kind of work safe issue. Why yeah. is why is that not being addressed? Do you think it's a tough one? I mean, I, I think breweries are trying their best to um, when it comes to safe handling and and especially with heavy things like kegs and 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 that sort of thing um, because a lot of it is manual work by hand. Um, I know at, at Hawkers we have a lot of sort of uh, rollers and things um, where you slide the kegs down. So there's, you know, very minimal sort of lifting and things. Um, but in, in smaller breweries, that's that's not the case. It's, you know, you're, you're lifting kegs onto pallets and, um, you know, stacking cases by hand and, and that, that sort of thing. So it, it is, it's, it's very strenuous, very hard work. And I think a lot of uh, people in the industry probably have a lot of sort of um back issues and things mm. <laughs> um it just yeah it it's just one of those things that i think a lot of breweries are starting to realize now yes it's it's something that you need to look at uh especially with long term um it's just i guess a hard thing to sort of gauge how to do properly i think it's one of those things with any kind of version in industry and it's moving so quickly is that that looking after the safety of people can be forgotten about and, yeah. and it, where it is it is a very prevalent issue in the industry something that you know i think needs to be on all our minds about yeah. how people are treated how what the expectation is of, yeah. of employees and so on obviously any health and safety things adds cost yeah that's a, a an issue for particularly smaller brewers yeah. at the end of the day um I think every, you know your health and stuff should should come first, um, especially in this industry. You want to be, you know, around for a long time. Um, most brewers do. <laughs> um, you 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 know you don't want to have to retire early um, from something that you love just because you can't lift a box or or tie up your shoelace or something. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, I think 
breweries are becoming more aware of of these issues now but it's still i think got a long way to go okay so dan we've been on a bit of an adventure here we've gone from uh cooper's pale we've journeyed to uh new south wales at murray's and uh gone to byron bay stone and wood gone to <laughs> scotland with a punk ipa gone to geelong with a hot bazooka or moolap and where are we going to next we're going back to new south wales <laughs> so we're going with uh with an old favorite uh back in the day two is old dark ale something that people probably wouldn't expect to be on my list but it is um and it's 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 one of the classics so what what is it about Tui's old dark that changed the way you thought about beer i mean i i'd never really had a dark beer before um so it was probably one of the first dark beers i ever had and um i just remember really enjoying that sort of roasty burnt sort of chocolate toffee little bit of coffee sort of flavor in there um and it was just like wow that is totally different (laughs) yeah it actually uh it smells delicious yeah all of those words you said exactly in that (laughs) smell what's it like to taste then (laughs) it's it's actually delicious (laughs) (laughs) so i remember actually um we used to we used to put a little dash of raspberry in there as well. Really, um, like raspberry cordial, yeah, kind of thing, yeah, bit of raspberry cordial just to give it a bit of sweetness on the end, and it just sort of cut through that bitterness. Yeah, it's a uh, and again very session like four point four percent. Yeah, I mean, and grow, growing up, uh, this was another beer that was a staple on tap. Um, there was always two years old on on tap growing up, um, so. Yeah, I mean, between between Tui's Old and, and Cooper's Pale, I was sort of covered whenever I went out to a bar in, in, in Newcastle. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's to this day, it just holds a holds a little little special place. Yeah, I can... It's, <laughs> it's hard to find in Victoria, though. Yeah, I, um, I think it might be the first time I've ever tried it, and I, I mean, I am impressed. It's, yeah. it, like, for its percentage, for its... Uh, you know, it you, you kind of. I don't think I'd ever go into a bottle shop and buy it if I saw it. Yeah, but um, more fool me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially you see the name Tui's, you you pretty much instantly think, oh, Tui's extra dry. Um, that's what most people think. You know, obviously um, that's in in other states, but you go to New South Wales, you know, Tui's new. Um, as, as we used to call it, Tui Spew. Because <laughs> it was horrible and that's what it used to make you do. And, um, I'm rhyming now. Great. Um, but, I mean, Tui's Old was always the one that, that I really liked as far as um, the Tui's range went. Uh, Tui's Old was was always a staple. <laughs> yeah, and was... What was um, the beer scene like in Newcastle when you were when you were growing up and things? Was it just very mainstream and kind of? It was, you know, you'd go to places and they'd have, you know, like Stella was like the classy beer back the premium, then. Premium, yeah. You know, when I was like eighteen, nineteen years old, you know, Stella was like the the beer of choice when when you went to certain places or, or there probably was probably expensive as yeah, well is it more expensive it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but then then uh, i remember 
going to do, I think it was the Courthouse Hotel. Um, I think that's what it was called. Crossroad from the Courthouse anyway, so it must have been. <laughs> uh, but they they um, had all the uh, all the James Squire beers on tap. And I remember walking in there, never heard of James Squire before. And I think it was the Amber Ale. Um, I got a, a schooner of the Amber Ale and was just completely blown away by that as well because I'd never heard of an Amber Ale before. And this is back when, you know, James Squire was still relatively small and unknown. Uh, so the beers were still being produced on a much smaller scale. Um, and again, it was just one of those one of those moments where you go, wow, okay, so that's another thing you can do with beer. <laughs> and, and was it like, was it fashionable to be drinking Tui's old dark ale? Oh, it wasn't fashionable. I mean, Tui's old was what all... You know, like your granddad drink. Like, you know, it's the old blokes used to drink two is old. Uh, it was by by no means the cool beer to drink at all. Uh, I just liked the flavour of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a really nice... Um, because I think... Uh, Annabelle from Himmelhund chose a, a Tui's beer uh, for one of her choices and it was kind of the same yep. nostalgic kind of warming nice yeah. comforting beer yeah um there's a lot of talk about you know dark beer being heavy being like yep. oh dark beer fills you up is this mythology well i mean depends on on the style of beer yes some dark beers can be very full-on and heavy but i mean you, that's when you start getting into big heavy stout sort of territory Whereas this being uh, just a dark ale, um, it's going to have a lot lighter body, you know, a lot sort of more sort of base pale malt um, and just a touch of that dark malt. So it's not going to be as heavy, not as thick, uh, which makes it a lot easier to drink than, say, you know, a a full-on stout, which can be quite full-on. So I think that's what I liked about it as well, was the fact that it, it was a darker beer, but it wasn't stodgy and heavy. So, you know, you could drink it all night. <laughs> and what do you experience, say, when you work in a Barjo's Fiend, people come in, do, does anyone come in just wanting a, a Carlton or wanting a VB? Oh, there's, yeah, there's always going to be those um, type so, of customers. And so what, what do you say, you know, because I, I, I say this because obviously with the dark beer, People yep. will say, I don't like dark beers. And you say, well, do you like coffee? Yes. Do I like chocolate? Yes. Yep. Will you like this beer? I'll give it a go. Yeah. What do you say to someone who walks into Bar Josephine when you've got all these wonderful beers on tap, some of them challenging even yep. for a seasoned um, drinker? I should f- rephrase that, a, se- <laughs> a seasoned connoisseur. Um, <laughs> you know, that. What, what are you saying to those people when they come in? Well, you- I mean, at the moment... Um, to, to cater for those people who, who come in wanting just a, a beer that tastes like beer, as, as a lot of them say. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, those draft drinkers is, I mean, at the moment, we've got the uh, Holgate Norton Lager on tap. Um, you know, we've had the Mornington Lager on tap. And those types of beers still being a craft beer, but they still appeal to that uh, mass-produced drinking person because it's... You know, it's it's still a lager draft style beer that they're used to, without the the crap in it, obviously. Um, so that's, I mean, yeah, we try and try and at least 
always have at least a lager of some sorts on to cater for those people. Um, so it's it's yeah it's it's not it's not that hard to sort of convince someone that hey you don't have to drink Colton Draft. There is other lagers that you can enjoy um, that are going to be way better. Have you ever had any uh, any moments where you've seen people? The lights go on, and uh, you've, oh, you've, absolutely. you've turned. <laughs> you've, you've, you've made them into a convert. Yeah, yeah. There's been um, there's been a few people come in. Actually, it's been really cool. Um, I, I, that's what I love about about um, craft beer is that there's so much variation in in styles that you know someone comes in and says, "Oh, I'm not really sure what I want and you know, I'm not really sure what I like. I don't really drink craft beer or anything. And you go, all right, well, so what do you normally like to drink? And they say, oh, you know, just like a, a, a pale ale or something. I'm like, all right, well, here's a nice pale ale, locally brewed. It's got a nice sort of hop character, but not over the top. Have a taste of that. They have a sip and they just look at you and go, oh, you know what? That's, that's, <laughs> that's actually really good. <laughs> and you go... Of course it is. <laughs> it, no, it's 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 great to see see people sort of venturing out in, into new territory, and um, you know, then they come back and they go, "Oh, w- what else have you got?" <laughs> yeah, well, I think it is exciting, particularly when you've got such a turnover of your tap list, but also the fact that it does remind you and kind of you know choosing your chosen brew, the six beers on on your beer journey you kind of have to look back and think, well, I was there once and I didn't... I would have been intimidated by that blackboard at a time and being confused and wouldn't know what to to order. Um, So it is... And at the pointy end where you try and, you know, double IPAs and Imperial Stouts, whatever else, then it is kind of nice to see someone light up when they do try a Stone and Wood Pacific Ale or they do try, you know, Hot Bazooka or... Yeah. Two years old, yeah. you know, like it's yeah, it's quite nice yeah. to see those lights. No, go it's on. great. You know, I mean, like our we have a uh, our house beer here is the um, the Heart Pale Ale, um, which is a locally locally brewed uh, from Hop Nation, um, and you know the amount of people who come in and go, oh, what you know, what what would you recommend? And even to recommend something like that, which is such a great. Um, I guess starting point um, for someone who may not have drank a lot of sort of craft beer, it's still very easy to drink, very sessionable, um, and and to see them coming back and ordering it again and again, it's like yes, we've got another convert. <laughs> Most definitely. Well, um, Dan, we're going to talk about uh, your your perfect receptacle to drink these six beers from, and also uh, a beer snack as well. Uh, I'm obviously over the moon that you're vegetarian so uh, i'm looking forward to it often the beer snacks vary onto the meat side so yep, yep. uh no death involved in your beer snack here not so, at all <laughs> uh, tell us about your beer snack all right uh so with with something like say with the two is old um i find maybe like something like either a hearty sort of stew like veggie stew um or even even like a you know like a dessert like a chocolate brownie or something like that you know perfect for the darker style beers um i i just think they that sort of you know like brownies and and sweets and things go really well with dark beers uh so that's good uh with with you know maybe like the ipas um 
I'd say maybe, you know, I think that's good for, you know, if you have some, like, you know, spicy, uh, like, spring rolls or something. Uh, you know, a bit of, bit of chilli kick just to, to really cut through with the beer. Um, as far as pale ales and things go, bar snacks. I think you can go past classic, like, pretzels and, you know, chips and things. But, um, you know, I... As far as bar snacks go, I don't want to sort of go too full on because you don't want want to get too too involved. I think, but um, that's sort of what what I'd go for anyway. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and um, and what are you drinking these beers out of? Uh, so we, I chose a, a nice tulip glass today. Um, I find tulip glasses uh, y- you can sort of get a good aeration of the beer. Um, it's it just I think it's a good all round glass in general. Uh, it doesn't matter what style. I think just the shape of the glass really lifts your aroma, um, sort of brings out the flavour a lot more. So that's that's why I've chosen that. Um, obviously, if I'm at home or something, I'm drinking an IPA. I'll drink out of an IPA glass. But um, if just in general, tulip glasses all the way. <laughs> yeah, if you had to just have one. If I had one glass, it'd be a tulip. That would be it. Now, I'm going to ask you a tricky question here as well. Uh, if you had to take one of these, just one of these beers, which one would it be? If I had to take one. Ooh. That is a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I did spring that question on you at the end. I, I, there was no forewarning for that um, question, so... You know what? I'd probably I'd probably take the Murray's just out of out of hometown pride. Yeah, Murray's angry uh, man. There we go. <laughs> Takes out the prize. Well, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to share some of these beers as well. It's been a um, pleasure. Now, where should people come and say hello to you? Uh, people can come into Bar Josephine in Footscray, uh, two ninety five Barclay Street. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm here quite often, so don't be shy. Come up, ask for a beer recommendation. I'm always down for a chat. Um, or you can follow me on online um, at Dan Bruce. Excellent. And uh, can we expect to see any more from uh, True Love Brewing? Uh, at the moment, I've I've sort of put things on hold. Just um, looking at uh, possibly starting work at a at another brewery. Um, so at the moment, things are a little bit on hold with that. But if, if, if that doesn't end up uh, going ahead, then yes, there will be more beer coming soon. So there is, uh, <laughs> so it's on hold, but the dream's still alive. That's the dream's the, always alive. That's the important thing. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Stan. It's been great. Thank you for taking us through your chosen beers. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's been a great to chat. It's been a blast. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Dan. Thank you. So that was it, Dan Schofield, True Love Brewing. A little bit sad that True Love is on hold for the moment, but as Dan said, it's still burning brightly, so I'm sure we'll see something come of that of the future. But it's nice that it's only on hold because of the other exciting things that Dan has got going on. So thanks so much for Dan to spend in the time and his hospitality. And if you want to wish 
The Chosen Brew, a Merry Christmas, then please rate The Chosen Brew on iTunes. Uh, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook. You can rate the Facebook page as well as some of you have done already. And it's really nice to have spent a year doing The Chosen Brew. As with anything, you don't know whether you're going to get listeners, whether it's a good idea, whether you should carry on going with it, but I'm pretty pleased. It's going well. So I think you want some more episodes, so we'll keep going. I kind of record these episodes thinking that they'll be really interesting to listen to in four or five or six years' time when who knows what the beer scene will look like then. And as in this episode we were talking about what the craft beer landscape was even five years ago, particularly 12 years ago, it's changed amazingly, so it feels like we're in a really exciting time for the beer industry and also for podcasts as well. So make sure there are a few other really good quality Australian beer podcasts, so make sure you also uh, reach out and listen to those because they're really well made and they're very specific and local to what's happening in Australia as well. So please, like you support Australian beer and support the Australian podcast scene as well it's much appreciated thanks for spending the last year listening um, it would be great to hear from you so as always I'm your host Ian McNally and have a wonderful Christmas break and holidays thanks everyone and I'll see you in the new year <laughs>